Majjana Timanandasya, Jnajana Salakaya, Chakshun Melitanyena, Tasmashi Gurave Namaha, Panchakopati Ubischa, Kripasindavivacha, Patita Nam Pavanevyo Vaishnavijit Monamaha, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Nasta Priyeshu Abhiyeshu, Nicham Bhagavata Sivaya Bhagavatutama Sloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naistiki. So good evening everyone. I uh, will begin by chanting the four verses which represent Shudavyasadev's Samadhi from the first canto, seventh chapter. What exactly was his experience? In that mind which was undisturbed because it was pure from the performance of bhakti, he saw Lord Krishna, complete with all his energies and spiritual expansions, and also saw Maya who took shelter behind the Lord. Bewildered by that Maya, the jiva, though separate from the three gunas, considers himself made of the three gunas and takes on material existence created by the gunas. And Vyas saw bhakti-yoga to the Lord which effectively destroys jiva's samsara. Learn Vyas then wrote the Bhagavatam for ignorant people. By hearing Bhagavatam, bhakti for the Supreme Lord Krishna appears. Hearing it also destroys lamentation, illusion, and fear in the human being. So we'll continue tonight. And Jiva Goswami we're up to the 46th section, and Anucheda can be translated as a section, so it's not like a sloka, not really a chapter. It's a section dealing with the explanation of a philosophical point. Anucheda 46. Direct apperception of Abhideya from the state of Samadhi. What did Shudavyasudev perceive in his state of Samadhi as the Abhideya, or the activity by which the jiva, underneath the influence of the gunas of the material energy, can rid himself of material suffering. So the English translation for this section, in the state of samadhi, Sridhar also directly perceived the means of ultimate attainment Abhideya. What's the means to the end of spiritual perfection? As depicted above in Anucheda 44. Then, in order to propagate it, he composed this scripture called Srimad Bhagavatam, which is meant for those on the path of ultimate truth, the Sattvatas. Or, in other words, the true Vaishnavas. We can understand that when he, this terminology, true Vaishnav, we're talking about those Vaishnavs who what? Who have the topmost goal as their objective. That topmost goal being the concept of relationship with the Supreme, which is given through the lips of Rupa Goswami and Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Completely unmotivated, uninterrupted, no tinge of desire, no tinge of selfishness in any way. 
no desire for liberation, no desire for benefit, but rather selfless love without impediment. Sri Sutta Goswami describes all this in the verse beginning with the word Anartha, 176. Anartho pasamam saksad bhakti yogama doksajay. And Vyasa bhakti yoga to the Lord, which effectively destroys jiva's samsara. He's analyzing this third of the four verses. In this verse, the word bhakti yoga refers to sadhana bhakti, devotion in the stage of regulative practice, which is characterized by hearing, chanting, and other forms of worship, and not to prem bhakti. So the bhakti yoga in this third verse, we have to read it as meaning sadhana, not prem bhakti. Devotion in the perfectional stage of pure love of God. This is concluded because devotion as a practice depends on instruction, while love of God depends solely on the grace of Bhagavan. So there's a distinction between one who's at the stage of sadhana and one who's at the stage of praying. Jiva Goswami is making that distinction, making us aware of that distinction in analyzing this third of the fourth verses. So the first verse, when he saw Krishna, when Vyas saw Krishna, that's praying. You do not have an audience with the Supreme unless you love him unconditionally. So Vyasa's experience and his practice was at the level of praying bhakta. But the jiva, under the influence of the material energy, he takes to the practice of sadhana bhakti under someone like Vyas or his representative. That's why we have a Vyasa sign. They can sit on a seat that is fit for Vyasudeva himself because Vyasudeva can impart perfect knowledge to us. One of the qualifications is Vyas was in Prem Bhakti. But for our benefit, what did he do? He was willing to to come down from the, the Uttama Bhakta platform, which is characterized by a being overwhelmed in love for the Supreme Lord, to such an extent that activities on the material plane are, are impossible to enact. The Prem Bhakti has no desire. His vision is so pure and perfect, he doesn't see anybody not serving Krishna. He doesn't see any living entity as any different from himself. And since he's in love with God, he sees every living entity is in love with God. If everybody's in love with God, there's no need to preach. I don't need to tell you to love God. You already know I can see it in your eyes. And they see with the eyes of love. And what do you see when you're in love? You see the whole world is in love. Fall in love with a young girl and you see everybody is in love. Or a young man, it, it overwhelms you. Everybody must feel like this. Who wouldn't want to feel like this? I'm head over heels. And that's that condition. There's no question of preaching. Call them madmen. They look like they have epilepsy. Jiva Goswami is unpacking this third of the four verses. 
what is it that Srila Vyasadeva saw as the solution. So this Anucheta has two parts. The second half is, even so, Sadhana Bhakti, being the means for gaining Bhagavan's grace, has love of God implicit within it as its mature fruit. Thus it is said that Sadhana Bhakti directly removes the jiva's miseries, anartho pasamam saksad, without dependence on anything else. Again, making it clear to his audience that bhakti is part of the Supreme Lord's Swarup Shakti. It's completely independent and never causal. It's not like anything that we're accustomed to in this environment. Therefore, it's difficult, especially for ourselves coming into this to not misunderstand what is the nature of bhakti. So the acharyas go to great lengths to let us know. Bhakti is completely independent. Bhakti resides in the heart of the sadhu. You get bhakti by the mercy of the sadhu. Krishna has this arrangement because Krishna, he is not partial in any way. But he does let his devotees, the sadhus, those in love with him, appear to be partial. And what is that partiality? They worship their contemporaries, the other sadhus, the great devotees, and have a loving exchange and loving exchanges with them. They they give shelter and instruction to the innocent. They love the Supreme Lord unconditionally. And those that are antagonistic, they avoid them. It's, it's very mysterious at times. It's a mystic thing, if you really think about bestow of bhakti upon the jiva. In this Anucheda, in the second half of it, Srila Jiva Goswami is trying to to give us a glimpse into the proper understanding. It's not causal. It's not something that's caused the way we see everything else is caused. And here, the point's being made that the bhakti is the same at the stage of sadhana that it is at the stage of praying. But it's perceived differently according to the qualification. When Krishna entered the wrestling arena, everybody saw them what? According to their apprehension of the Supreme. How they perceived the Supreme. So the yogi saw him in one way, Kamsa saw him, death personified, the wrestler saw him in one way, the wives, Dorka. All of them had a different angle of vision. Similarly, there is a difference in the angle of vision and the ability to fully perceive the Supreme Lord. There's a difference in that perception between one at the stage of sadhana and one at the stage of praying. It's a great difference. We cannot say that Krishna is not fully present. It's not there's a diminishing 
there, if there is anything lacking, it's lacking on our side. As Bhagavan states in Srimad Bhagavatam, whatever may be attained by execution of prescribed duty, penances, cultivation of wisdom, renunciation, practice of yoga, offering of charity in accordance with scripture, or any other means of ultimate welfare, whatever can be attained by any other means, is what Krishna is saying here. This is from the 11th canto, and Krishna is speaking to Uddhava, his dear most devotee. He's saying, whatever you can do, yoga, whatever sacrifices you can perform, whatever charity you give, whatever heavenly planet you may want, whatever you may desire in life, and whatever discipline or practice or path within material existence you may take to attain that objective, no matter what that may be, it pales in comparison with taking to the simple path of devotional service. It's easily attained by my devotee. If your father is a billionaire, there's nothing that's out of reach monetarily in your life. You can go to any university you want. You can have any car you want, any island you want. What stands in the way? You need one thing. You need to stay on the good side of your father. That's what Krishna is saying here. For my devotee, it's a blank check. For everybody else, they go down these different roads, they take up these different disciplines, they want this, that, and another thing. And for my devotee, if he just thinks he wants something, I give it to him. He doesn't really have to even really want it, but even if if the thought just passes through his mind, I'm right there. Okay, hey, did you want this? Sometimes it gets Krishna's devotees in trouble. It's like, well, no, no, I didn't mean it. That's what Dhruva's basically saying. I, I was looking for broken... Now I found this gem. Don't give me the broken glass. Oh, but you wanted the broken glass. How can I not give it to you? Otherwise, I'm Krishna. That's my dharma. My dharma is to fulfill the desire of my devotee, no matter what that desire may be. No, but don't. Dhruva's like, no. Now I've got to have a planet. I've got to be the the king of a planet because I wanted to have a planet better than Lord Brahma's. I want to have a lifestyle and, and duration of life better than the best king in the whole universe, exceeding that of my father whose lap I couldn't even sit on. I'll show him. My brother, I'm going to show him too. I'll show them all up. Krishna said, yes, you will. Whoa, no, no, not now. No, I've seen your feet. I've seen that. This is not, anyway. So, that's what Krishna's speaking about here to Uddhava. Is easily attained by my devotee through engagement in bhakti yoga to me. If at any time my devotee should desire heaven, liberation, or my abode, he can also attain these. Jiva Goswami goes on. By contrast, methods such as the intuition of one's self-identity with Brahman, Gyan, depend on bhakti for their fulfillment, as shown in such statements as the following. This is from the 10th canto, Lord Brahma speaking. O mighty Lord, 
Those who undergo pains to attain realization of oneness with the Absolute, giving up the most beneficial path of bhakti, gain only labor and nothing else. Like those engaged in thrashing, coarse husk devoid of grain. In comparison, Jiva is saying, now let's look at this other verse. Look. Look here, a jnani. What's the qualifications of a jnani? Who wants liberation in the Supreme? What's required? There cannot be any influence of the modes of material nature. They have to completely absorb themselves in pure consciousness, devoid of any material desire. They have to become a Sukadev before he became a Vaishnava. That's the level of attainment they have to have. Jivan Mukta. Then they have to adopt some portion of bhakti in order to be completely fulfilled. That's where the radical non-dualists fall by the wayside. Because they see Krishna as material. If they only see Krishna as spiritual, then they can, they can merge with him. But because they see him as having a material body and really not being that much different from themselves, the jiva, the jiva's what? The jiva's touched ignorance and the ishvara's touched vidya, knowledge. So Brahma's saying they go, go through great pain and at the end of it, there's not even a grain of spiritual substance there. No taste. It's, it's just husk. Not even a grain of, of relish can be had if they give up that little bit of bhakti. Another meaning of anartho pasamam saksad is that sadhana bhakti directly counteracts the miseries of material existence. Meaning that it does so without obstruction or without any intervening agent. Again, bringing home the point, bhakti is what? Completely independent and bhakti is the nature of Krishna's swarup shakti which is not influenced in any way by his maya shakti. However, it is only pure love of God, the mature fruit of sadhana bhakti, that can counteract the two fundamental faults of bewilderment and misidentification. Bewilderment being forgetfulness of inherent self-identity and misidentification being the assumption of a phenomenal self tied to the material body. Thus, Abhideya is expressed here Srimad Bhagavatam one seven six, as it was before in Anuchedas thirty two and forty four, we can see Jiva re- he pounds these points home. Even at the very beginning in Anucheda thirty two, he was he was bringing this point home of sadhana being the rem- remedial measure for ending the miseries of material existence.
So a couple points on this commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam verses relating Srila Vyasadeva's revelation in Samadhi. We've already discussed that the Bhakti Yoga is used in two of the four verses and in this third verse it refers to Sadhana Bhakti, the means to the end, whereas in the first verse it's the end itself because Vyasadeva had audience with Krishna directly. This self-manifestation of bhakti in the heart of the sadhika, so this is important to understand, it's self-manifestation. Bhakti herself is manifesting. It's not that there is a transition of the jivatma. Jivatma is still tatastasakti. It doesn't, it's not becoming something else. Rather, bhakti is manifesting herself to the jiva through the agency of Bhagavan himself or his pure devotee. This manifestation and the distinction between the bhakti at the stage of sadhana and the bhakti at the stage of frame is defined by Srila Rupa Goswami and Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. When bhava becomes extremely condensed it is called praying by the learned it softens the heart completely and produces extreme possessiveness of the Lord in the experiencer so here this particular verse is talking about the distinction between bhava bhakti and praying bhakti now in a general way bhakti is characterized in three different stages devotional service in practice devotional service in ecstasy and devotional service in pure love of God so this verse from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu it's, it's giving us an indication when it's not very condensed it's sadhana bhakti it's the same bhakti but it's it's not very condensed and here Srila Rupa Goswami is making, but when it becomes more condensed, then it's Bhava Bhakti. And when it becomes the most condensed, it's Prem Bhakti. Jhana Yoga and Astanga Yoga require Bhakti, and Bhakti is Krishna Swarup Shakti. Another way to look at it, nice perspective, without the Atma in the body, the senses are lifeless. Take the Atma away and the senses cannot function. Similarly, without the effectuating essence of devotion, all other endeavors are useless. All other endeavors, even material endeavors, bhakti is that agency which gives completion to everything. It's just like the life airs in the body. Take the life airs out and the senses are useless. Take bhakti, a little, just a pinch of bhakti, when it comes to artha, dharma, kama, moksha. Just take a pinch and those become successful. This is confirmed in the Bhagavatam by a very special verse. A karma, sarva karma va moksha karma, udharadi, travena, bhakti yogena, yajata purusham param. A person who has broader intelligence, whether he be full of all material desires, without any material desires, or desiring liberation 
must by all means worship the supreme whole, the personality of Godhead. So here, the Bhagavatam is telling us, if you're full of material desires, no problem, worship Krishna. If you have no material desire, worship Krishna. If you want to be liberated, worship Krishna. And if you want to love Krishna, worship Krishna. Anarthopasamam saksad. Bhakti yoga directly mitigates the miseries of conditioned beings because, this is the reason, because sadhana bhakti matures into prem bhakti without external aid. Without external, it's not causal. I know it seems like there's a cause. I know we're getting up every morning, we're chanting our rounds, we're worshiping the deity, we're cooking for the deity, we're serving the devotees, we're serving our spiritual master. Sure, it looks like we're putting in a lot, putting in a lot of uh, of uh, work here. But what are we putting in? What are we engaged in? We're engaged in bhakti. Bhakti is completely independent. Bhakti is taking us over, taking over our senses, taking over our mind, taking over our tongues, our lips, taking over our ears, our eyes. We're becoming immersed in bhakti. It's just the illusion that we have that we're the doer. You have to have the desire. Where do you get that desire? From the guru. Yes, you saw a bhakta. If you didn't see a bhakta, would you ever have a desire? So what you saw in the bhakta was what? Bhakti. Bhakti. So, answers your own question. Bhakti is completely independent, causeless, moves in her own way. I know we think we're doing it all. It appears to be some effort there. But really, we're immersing ourselves. We're letting bhakti overtake us. Because sadhana bhakti matures into praying bhakti without external aid, it is not wrong to say that sadhana bhakti directly mitigates all miseries. You can't see sadhana bhakti as different. It's just an unripened fruit. Once the fruit ripens, the material miseries will completely dissipate. Although we learn from Srila Rupa Goswami and Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that at the stage even of sadhana bhakti, material miseries begin to dissipate. But they're not completely, absolutely, as we'll learn. We go to the Bhagavatam and at the end of the Tattva Sandarbha when the ten subjects of the Bhagavatam are discussed, this absolute ending of material miseries which this word anarthopasanam represents is this complete ending of miseries. You're saying that um, there's the, the devotee, you know, like the Majjim Bhakta shows, Majjim whatever, he shows like love towards the devotees and, and you're saying that this person's partial but that's not Krishna. So what, where does the par- partiality come from then? It's not bhakti or is it the person's material contamination? Like a per- that, per- that devotee is partial if it's not coming from Krishna, the partiality. He's partial in accordance with Krishna's direction. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not direct. We never measure Krishna as being partial mm-hmm. to or not being partial to. What? That we leave to the discretion of his, of his majjamadakaris. So yeah, they're partial. They are partial, yes. They do show partiality. 
their impartiality is up up to the stage of indifference to those that are antagonistic or adverse uh, to the supreme lord so they just they don't they avoid them that avoidance would be seen as partiality on the part of the lord if he was to do it but he doesn't the son he's, he's providing everybody even the atheists and the agnostics they're offered the same facilities in life as his devotees from a materialistic viewpoint but we know there's some special affection there so yes this is uh, this is all explained in great detail in the beginning of uh, uh, Madhurya Kadambari by Srila Vishwanath Chakrabarty Thakur you, the proper way to see these things anything else? you um, described was the fruit of bhakti ripens the material attachments fade away even in the beginning stages uh, from Madhurya Kadambani again we go back to this foundational uh, primer on, on sadhana bhakti our practice from there, Vishwanath Chakravarti elaborates on Rupa Goswami's explanation from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu about how sinful reaction, suffering, that's what life is, it's, it's a reaction to our material activities, how that suffering is dissipated step by step as, as one advances through the stages as put forth by Rupa Goswami and Aushrada, Tatasadu, Sangotha, Bhajanakriya, Todartha, Nivritishat, Tonista, Ujistata. So, in all these different stages, the different levels of, of karma are dissipated. When we look at Parabdha karma, the body that we are currently in, that's like the last to go. But even the pure devotee. What, how do we look at the body of the spiritual master? We don't look at it as material. It's not a material body. It may look like a material body. It's not. Or is it? That's a matter of our vision. And we're told how to see that. So we follow the vision of Shastra, even though our senses may tell us something else. Because that's the vision we have to have. We have to see through the eyes of Shastra. Does that answer your question? To somewhat? Question's kind of like, because uh, yesterday we were talking how once material attachments dissipate, you can see bhakti for what it is. So it kind of seems like, you know, just bhakti right then, or do the material attachments dissipate? Or is it just kind of like simultaneous? Simultaneous, yeah. It's just like uh, as the green, the green goes away in the mango, and you can tell it's becoming more and more ripe. Eventually you see no green at all becomes a succulent fruit at that point. If we, if we use that as a comparison, then we would say that the bhakta, maturing through the stages of sadhana bhakti, going step by step uh, through those stages as Rupa Goswami outlines them, sadhu sangha, bhajana kriya, nartha nivritti, uh, ruchi, asakti, bhava, prema, and in praying, there's more stages. So through all those stages, eventually at the topmost platform of praying, then there is nothing material remains. 
And we can also see that the great sadhus have explained that to us at the stage of praying, then there's the jiva is actually given an opportunity to enter into the leela of the Lord within the material world and finally fully trained up at that stage. At that stage, there is no material body. Those associates no longer have material form, although it looks material. And we read the Bhagavatam and we hear, oh my gosh, the Yadus left. They killed each other. They became drunk. They killed each other with bamboo rods, sticks, beat each other to death. No, they left. That was just a show put on by Yogamaya for the materialists. This is how we see things through the eyes of Shastra. What's really going on? We learn these things. This has really happened here. You read the Bhagavatam superficially with, uh, without good guidance, and you go, what kind of people are these? These are people that hung out with God, and they ended up beating each other to death after they got drunk? <laughs> what kind of God is that? Yes? Okay, so we talk about the mango going from green to ripe. So there's some kind of transformation happening. But bhakti is the same bhakti in the beginning and the end. So mm-hmm. it's not bhakti that transforms. And the jiva is the jiva. You can't do mm-hmm. anything. The jiva doesn't change. So it's not the jiva that transforms. So what exactly is it that transforms? The misconceptions are the anartha. Anartha, pasana. The misconceptions are dissipated. The jiva can either be influenced by the external or the internal potency. So as the jiva matures spiritually, the external is no longer influencing lesser and lesser and lesser, and the spiritual's overwhelming the jiva more and more and more. You know, yes. We're coming from the external potency into the internal potency by the grace of what? Bhagavad and the sadhu. The influence has been transformed. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yes. I, I don't know exactly how this conversation went down, but I think you'll get my point. Uh, I heard a memories thing last week. Vishnu John asked Prabhupada about mercy, and he said, and this is in reference, I'm saying this in reference to Bhakti. Okay. He said, Prabhupada, why is it that and I don't know how this is the part I don't know how exactly he said but he said you know there can be several people with you but some people are really making rapid advancement and others aren't mm-hmm. how is that and, and Prabhupada said I give the same mercy to everyone it's just how much people take it so I'm, I'm, I'm taking that because I'm seeing like mercy and bhakti are very, I guess you're saying like through the guru comes the bhakti, but my point is, is that I read about how much one applies oneself. So isn't it that you see someone, you know, the guru's given the mercy and they're taking it and and we're saying that no, bhakti doesn't have to go to that person that doesn't have to it's coming through the grace of the guru it doesn't have a material cause that doesn't mean it doesn't have a cause 
And the cause is the mercy of the guru and our ability to take it, as Prabhupada said, to completely surrender to it. So we can surrender overnight, we can become a Kula Shekhar, we can say, okay, I'm done. If we're so fortunate to be have that much Sukriti, or maybe even the mercy of the Guru, however Bhakti wants to present herself, she's completely independent to do so, at her whim. But we see it as, oh, look, this devotee can make advancement and I'm so fallen. It's Yes, you could look like that, it's good. We, were, we want to be humble. But Bhakti's completely independent. Well, is she subordinate then to say like the pure devotee, the guru? Because Lord Chaitanya told, uh, I forget, the, the, the brother-in-law became a devotee and Lord Chaitanya told him, because you willed it, he said, I did it. it because of your will. So the devotee wills something, then Bhakti has to but, fulfill that. But what are the, what's the quality of the devotee? The quality of the devotee in, in, dis, in distributing mercy is he doesn't discriminate. It's a matter of how do we want to take advantage. Anybody can, can come to the feet of the guru and some will apply themselves immediately, some it will take some time, some are very unripened and some are already three quarters ripe. We're seeing that one person's taking advantage and they're, they're, they've just advanced in devotee. Now you could say, well, how did they advance? They followed the process. We like to bring out the ruler of Maya and measure everything with that. But really we have to understand Bhakti is on a different plane altogether. Oh, Bhakti, it's not that there's no effort on our part. There's certainly effort on our part. But the effort is within Bhakti. It's difficult to understand. It's, it's, uh, so it's mystical. Way? It truly is mystical. Well, it can feel discouraging when you say there's nothing we can do, but we are trying. We are trying to do to get. Yes, you're trying to do. We're all trying to do. There's no need to be discouraged, but we have to have realistic ex expectations. Otherwise, become neurotic. Devotees become neurotic. Oh my gosh, Krishna doesn't love me. Oh my gosh, I'll never get out. Oh, I'll never be able to give up this. No, just. Be honest. If devotees could just be honest, like it says in the second verse of the Bhagavatam, just be honest with yourself first and with other people, then the necessity is there. We need to, we need to feel a necessity, an urgency. Yes, a sense of urgency helps us in bhakti. We want that. But if we, we, we muster all the strength we can and, and and have a complete sense of urgency, it may still take lifetime upon lifetime. But that's up to Krishna. If we're honest and are truly giving all that we can give, but a devotee will never think they're giving all that they can give. That's our dilemma. <laughs> we're willing to live with that. Krishna is in our mind making us feel that way. Okay. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, I'm the mind. <laughs> So, what can we do? Yes, there is a sense of urgency. Yes, we take that and we use that just like we'd use anything else in devotional practice. It's a tool to push us on. That's all. But bhakti's independent. It's coming from the mercy of the devotee. It's not causal, is the point that's being made. It's not influenced by the modes of material nature. 
We want to understand if there's any advancement to be made, it's going to be made through to the merciful dispensation of Krishna's devotees or Krishna himself. Otherwise, there'll be no advancement for us. We cannot get out of this material world. I don't care how hard you try. It ain't going to happen unless there's a touch of pinch of bhakti. What to speak of wanting to enter into the most intimate relationship with the Supreme Lord. So if we can just stay calm and not become neurotic, we'll do okay. I just heard Prabhupada say, be enthusiastic, be patient. Utsahan nishchayadaryat. Straightforward in your dealings, honest. And there were six things. karma partadat sangatvagatsatovrite sadbir bhaktir prasidjate through the nectar of instruction. Upadesha Marita Bhashrila Rupa Goswami. Uh, oh, yeah, an association of Enthusiasm, patience, confidence, associating with the devotees, avoiding non devotees. I believe he's paraphrasing that if he said mm-hmm. six because that's what that verse is about. I'll stop there. Thank you very much for your association. <laughs>